0: Hey coach, welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. Let's share the game. Excited to welcome Christopher Newport head coach, John Kerkorian, to the Basketball Podcast. Kerkorian led Christopher Newport to remarkable success, including its first three Final Four appearances and its first national championship in the 2023 season. Kerkorian has led the captains to nine NCAA tournaments in 12 seasons, including the last seven tournaments. Christopher Newport is the only school in the nation to win at least one game in each of the last seven NCAA tourneys, and Kerkoria now has a career mark in the tournament of 23-7. and seven. His overall record at Christopher Newport is 290-65, and for an 80% winning percentage through his first dozen years at the helm. He was named the National Coach of the Year by the NABC following his national title in 2023. Krikorian's teams at Christopher Newport have won at least 18 games per season since he took over and advanced to the conference championship game every year for the last nine seasons in the Capital and Coast to Coast Athletic Conference. The national championship team of 2022-23 tied the school record for victories with 30, finishing 30-3 and and ending the year on a 15-game winning streak. Krikorian's coaching resume now includes six seasons as an NCAA Division I assistant and 16 as a Division three head coach. His overall head coaching record is 355 and 107. John, welcome to the podcast. Hey Chris, thanks for having me. Excited to talk to you. Wow, incredible success throughout your career, especially at Christopher Newport and the national championship. Talk to us about that. You know, it, uh, at this point, feels like a lifetime
1: ago a little bit, but your whole career, you're, you're striving towards, towards that one you know, peak and to be able to actually arrive there and and succeed as a coach. it's a pretty incredible feeling. There's only, you know you you just have great appreciation for how many people have tried, how many great coaches have been close and not been able to get over that hump and to be one of them is it's humbling, honestly, but it's it's much more of a you know a celebration for the fifty plus years of basketball, at Christopher Newport. and we've had great players and coaches here. We have great school and community. And you know that the, I think that the framework was laid, the groundwork was laid for that championship long before we assembled last year's team, and those guys got to take us to the to the final step. But really, it's it's been a lot of work for a lot of people over a long period of time to get there. And yeah, it's what they tell me it's not something they can take away. So I'm holding on for dear life so that they
0: can't. Well, that's tremendous perspective and uh, certainly acknowledging all the people in the past that helped build it and contribute to it is a wonderful sentiment. And I asked you prior to this, just kind of, because I like to dive a little deeper in terms of the success you've had. And I asked you, why are some things beyond the obvious, which is talent, that you have been successful with this program? And one of the first things you talked about is talent and character and passion for the game, competitive spirit. These things all go together a little bit. Can you connect that a little bit for us in terms of how that impacts your program?
1: Yeah, I think it's really evolved as early on in your career, everything is black and white and, and players have to fit a certain mold. And, and there's certainly things that you're looking for. But for us, it's always been that that trying to find that sweet spot of talent and character. Until just recently, you know, really until the last year or two, never felt like we were just going to get the best players, right? Who Who... In coaching, really believes that they're just getting the best players. So, you know, finding the best players that, that we could get, uh, which was different in year one and two than it is now. And it was different at the Mercer Marine Academy than it is here. The best talent that we can get, but those with the character to improve. Because it always felt like juniors and seniors are the ones that, that really carry your teams. And to have guys that evolve and develop and have the character to look at themselves when, when things aren't going well is it's a huge just a huge piece of the puzzle and there'll be times maybe we'll pass on a, a talented player for someone with a little more character or maybe you know we have very strong character in the program and we're going to take a risk on on somebody who maybe needs some character development but they're super talented and just really trying to find that balance where we know we have a a program and we're doing things the right way and the guys are locked into being about the team but then not being so Strict about it that we aren't able to, you know, bring along some guys maybe that could help our team and they have the talent and they just need a, a family around them to help them grow up a little bit while they're there. So, you know, it's, it's an ebb and a flow. And some years you maybe have a little too much than the other. But I, I think certainly, right, assistant coaches are, I've had great ones. That's a huge part of our success. They are the ones that really go out and, and find the talent that we can recruit. And then at the end of the day, that's up to me to determine is this young man and their family, the right fit for this program, for what we're doing. Do they have the toughness? Do they care about the team enough to get us, to get them the growth necessary to be competitive nationally? And and you never can go, oh, to win a national championship. No, but you just want to be in the conversation. You know, you want to be, have a chance to be in that Elite Eight, Final Four, Sweet 16, because as we learned, anything can happen once you get there.
0: Of course, and talent and character, certainly that goes a long way towards building team dynamics and culture. But particularly, I want you to talk about and explain a little bit more about what you mean about cliques and outliers.
1: Yeah. So, well, cliques within a team, I think, you know, we're, we're, this is a family. You're coaching a group of young men anywhere from 18 to 23 years old. You have fifth year seniors, you have freshmen, possibly some transfers. You have groups that came in together. And they're super close. On our particular team this year, we have two sets of brothers. And, and we, we spend a lot of time really trying to make sure that we assimilate all of the players to feel like they have an equal role within the team. And really probably hyper-vigilant about little groups forming that maybe end up being their own dynamic, which may be counter to, to being there for all the members of the team. And that happens naturally. And it happens behind the scenes sometimes. And it's something that we'll talk about as coaches try to pick up on in meetings, try to pick up on where people are sitting when we go to eat dinner. So we'll do things like, you know, we didn't invent the wheel. A lot of coaches do this, but on the road, we'll really try to pair maybe an older guy with a younger guy. We we value diversity. It's one of our three core values. And so how we room the freshmen together, we might really try to, to get two guys from different backgrounds together so that different groups within our team can form. We might have point guards become their own little entity and create a little competitive deal with the, uh, the wing players and for shooting percentage or something. But just as much as we can really try to have every individual have the, the confidence to tell their, their teammates the truth and to hear the truth. Because as soon as you hide behind a group of people that are going to tell you what you want to hear, which can happen, to me, that's one of the biggest obstacles to success.
0: Well, I love that connection to be able to make them comfortable enough to be able to share you know, what needs to be shared in the right way. And that's, that's a tremendous connection. And you mentioned core values. And obviously, many coaches have core values. And yours believe brotherhood and diversity. And you can talk about those. But more, I love the point that you revisit them. Every three to four years. So talk to us a little bit about that process.
1: Yeah. And I think I firmly believe it's about the process, not the words. If you take a list, there's probably a hundred values you could choose from, and they're all great. And champions of all levels at all sports have different ones. And and it's about the buy-in, I believe. So every three or four years, as we get a group in, and I think we're about to do it now because we have some really talented freshmen. We'll, we'll hopefully bring in another class behind them. And now I'll see a group of 10 or 12 that are going to be with us for three years. So it'll be the perfect time probably next fall uh, to start the conversations of what, what do we want to be? What do we stand for? Uh, what is this group passionate about? And, and we'll go through and we'll have groups or individuals within the team present uh, maybe values that they feel strongly about they think can help our team. I'll have them study the most successful teams in history or, or organizations. It might even be military organizations or or business organizations and present to the team. These are the values of the United States Army. These are the values of Nike. These are the values of Tennessee women's basketball. These are the values of the New England Patriots. And here's why these can really help our team if we buy in. And we'll put them all on the table and we'll take weeks to kind of go through that. And And it's theirs to own from that point on. And I think that process is mo- much more important. So when those words are on the
0: wall or on our practice plan, they mean something. It's a great perspective to be able to approach it that way. And as you said, I mean, players change, but also the circumstances of what you're coaching and how you're coaching change quite a bit as well in this process. And I, I love this other connection that no team captains, and I've heard that from more- from some other coaches before in that sense that you're trying to empower everyone. Can you explain a little bit more your rationale behind that? Yeah, I've, it's probably been a decade since we've had one. And I don't know exactly
1: where I, I came to it, but there was a, definitely a moment where I decided I'm not, I'm not doing that because the last thing I want is for a, a freshman or sophomore or somebody who could really lead our team, could really make an impact, but instead chose to take a back seat because they didn't feel comfortable speaking up or a selected person as a junior or senior who maybe was the wrong person. you know. And, and on top of that, I, and this might've been what it was is 10 years ago, we put a list together of all the requirements and responsibilities to be a team captain. And I think a coaching friend of mine had sent me a list. They, had, they were one that had their uh, players apply to be a team captain. You some coaches do this and they have to send a resume and all these things. Well, the list that we came up with was like 25 long. And I thought to myself, how can one person or two people possibly be responsible for all these things and play basketball? And so for me, it was we need everybody to be part of this process. And we've had vocal leaders. We've had leaders by example. We've had quiet leaders, behind the scenes leaders, bench leaders. And so it just felt like having every single player in the team have some responsibility for what happens on the court and be empowered to lead and be empowered to speak up. And when we went to the Final Four in 2019, you know, it's a a story that people talk about. We had a a freshman who wasn't playing and we were down, I think, 12 against Hamilton on the road in in the Sweet 16. Uh, We were dead. We were done for. And uh, I didn't go in the locker room. I just, I told them they had to figure it out. And a freshman of all people that wasn't playing stepped up and and really got into the guys and told them the truth, that they didn't want to hear about the way that they were playing. And they responded like, in no way that they would have responded to anybody else. And we came out, we ended up winning the game. And, you know, I would hope that because of our culture, he was, he felt confident to be able to speak and be heard and and to be respected, even though his role was not a prominent one. And to me, that's, that's the power of having 15 guys who all have engagement, have some empowerment, have investment in the process and, uh, and can lead. And there's so many different ways to lead. that. And so I think our job as coaches and the ultimate leader to empower
0: them to, to find those opportunities and take them when they can. I love that and you know are there some specific things within that that you do to be able to make say some of the newcomers to your program more comfortable in that because again there tends to be this stereotype of leadership is this chronological thing rather than this logical thing.
1: Yeah, it's it's more I think a daily it's almost every day that it's revisiting and talking about listen anybody can lead. You have to speak up. And a lot of times that comes out for us on defense that's our I'm sure we're going to get to it. You know, defense is our bread and butter. And that's really where th- there's so many opportunities on the court to lead, you know, it, to call somebody through a screen, to switch a screen, to, to come on the court and, and communicate with your teammates. Well, that requires everybody. We, if a freshman's playing, they have to be able to communicate pretty sternly, quickly and honestly, or else the job's not going to get done. And so just are constantly
0: talking about, hey, you got to speak up. Anybody can lead. It's just, it's an everyday part of our our program. I love it. And, you know, we're we're in season while we're doing this, and I appreciate you taking some time in season. So maybe let's go there first, because I think in-game coaching and game philosophy and different things like that are super important and maybe don't get discussed enough on some of my podcasts. So I loved your philosophy that you shared with me that there's always a way you just have to find it. Can you expand on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's as simple as my, Uncle growing up, I grew up in a very competitive family. My, my mother grew up on a farm. She was one of 11 children. And so you can imagine, I mean, every, every Sunday, every family outing was some sort of competitive to the death match in whatever sport it was. And, you know, my uncle, who's a, a, a terrific basketball player, coach, and, and ultimately a referee, was my mentor in basketball. And he, in coaching later on, he said, you know, there's it's he said. He said, there's always a way to win the game. You just got to figure it out. And it took me a lot of years to really understand that. And again, all things being equal, right? I mean, we're, we're not going to go beat the Lakers tomorrow no matter what I do. But within, within certain boundaries, I thought to myself, you know, almost every time we lose a game, we sit in the office as coaches and say, oh, had we done that, we could have won the game. Had I done this, we could have won the game. Had we made that change? Had we inserted this player? Had we gone zone? And so really, rather than do it after the game, trying to figure that out before the game and during the game. And can we find, find a way to win the game? And we were just up, we took our team to Penn, which is my alma mater, and Coach Donahue, who was my coach in college, spoke to the team, and he referenced Billy Donovan, who said it in a different way, but every game presents something different. And you don't know what it's going to be until you're playing that game. And you have to figure it out every night you might think, hey, I'm going to go score 40 this game. You're the leading scorer and you get there and they're double teaming you. You're not going to get 40 that game. You have to adjust to the game. Every game's different. And I think just really being open, one, being prepared, knowing your opponent, knowing plan A, B, and C and what might happen, but then also being open to anything. And then being willing to take those, those risks, I think is also a huge part. Well, how risk averse are you if if you're just gonna do the same thing all the time, that's fine. There's some terrific teams and they they do it. They do what they do and they're not gonna change and you're gonna have to beat them at doing what they do. And I respect that. And there's a lot of things that we do that way. But then there's the I think the the creativity and openness to see the game as it's being played and and not be afraid to throw a guy in who maybe hasn't played a lot because you think the matchup is right, or you know, do something really risky with a player on the other team who's hurting you almost daring another player to beat you with open shots or whatever, whatever the case may be. And that's the fun part of coaching. I mean, that's, I really, really enjoy that. And I think we talked a little bit about how, how the simplicity of it is so important and that, that adjustments to me in game, they're, they're fun if they're simple and the players can apply them without having to, to second guess themselves or think or slow down, but that they can just react. It's as simple as, Hey, don't let that dude catch the ball. You know, we don't have a fancy terminology. We don't have, you know, five guys running some sort of thing. Like, hey, Chris Oliver is killing us. Who's going to be the guy that is not going to let him catch the ball? And you look in the huddle and there's a guy that says, coach, I got it. And you go with it sometimes. And
0: it doesn't have to be complicated. I love that. And I hope someday I do kill someone again on the floor, but uh, I think those days are gone. But uh, coach, uh, you mentioned the research, the preparation in terms of some of this uh, risk and risk tolerance and applying some of these risky things. How much of it in your mind now at this point in your career is feel versus something you've dove into in terms of the analytics, the research, et cetera? Yeah. I mean,
1: Funny, I've always been considered myself a numbers guy. I was a systems engineer, you know, I was doing points per possession since the day I got into coaching. The I old- meant
0: to ask you, are you the only systems engineer in the history that has won a national championship? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> you know, it's it's fun thing to say, but I I, I didn't. I'm, my daughter needs my help
1: in trigonometry right now, and the fact that I can't remember a thing about it is embarrassing. But any anyway, so I've always been an analytical guy. I was. We've been doing points per possession since I got into coaching, like literally right when Ken Palm was getting started. Um, I've always valued that because turnovers, rebounds, tempo, all that, all that has to factor in a little bit. Uh, but I, I think nowadays it's gotten a, maybe even too much data. I think it's more about what you do with it and how you can apply it in a simple way. And, and I like to see it all and kind of know what's going on. But I think the value is how you can apply it to your team. And as you mentioned, the feel. I think the more games you coach and the more years you coach and the more players you coach, you know, I do think it starts to lean a little more towards the field because you can say, hey, I've I've played this game. We've played this game. We've played a team like this. I know this coach. I know his style. I know what they want to do, despite what the numbers say. They're valuable. But when, when it comes to the last three minutes of the game, like I know it's going to come down to X, Y or Z. And, and analytics oftentimes can't can't really factor in for some of that stuff. But I I really think it's it's that sweet spot of combination of of data, preparation, film study. I think talking with my staff is so important, talking through ideas before they happen. Well, what if they do this? Okay, give me another scenario. Tell me what else, what else could happen? Well, what if they do this? And having all those if-then scenarios prior to the game and I'll make them my assistants. You know, if you work for me, they'll tell you, like, don't come to me with some some idea or don't challenge my idea without some data behind it or without some something don't just say hey well i think we should do this well tell me why well it's because this team is 70 percent effective doing this and okay all right you better you better be able to back it up and then we'll work through that before the game and and i think it's that sweet spot combination between feel and data that you know i think i think we've been fairly successful at but you know, you, you can go one way or the other fast. And and I think you got to try to get back to that middle ground.
0: With this game philosophy, what, what do you mean by or maybe it's not worth it in order to make a point?
1: Oh, yeah. So, you know, you have your standards and you might see within the game like, hey, we're, we would have to sell out to win this game. And that might, might mean it's November 10th. And I know that in order for us to be successful in March, we're going to have to do X, Y, and Z. I could lower the standard for this particular game and maybe we could find a way to win it. But holding the standard high now and losing the game will help us more in March. And that might be having a player sit on the bench who's not meeting the standard. Oftentimes it's something like that. It might be not changing our defense because I know... That then my players will think, rather than provide the necessary effort to execute what is going to be needed in March, we'll we'll just switch the defense. So I, I, that's what I mean by fine again that. And we often we schedule hard and early in the season. I don't I don't mind. We might take some L's, and I think we learn a lot more from those losses than than finding a way to win those games yet hurting our team standards later in the year versus now you get to the tournament, all bets are off. You know, you are who you are. We'll roll the dice. We've done some wacky things in the NCAA tournament. And sometimes
0: it works and sometimes it doesn't. Well, I love it. And more often than not, lately it's worked for you. So it's a great uh, perspective on it too. And I'm imagining this connects as well to, you talked about empowering your players as leaders. You're empowering them to make some in-game adjustments as well, aren't you? We
1: are. Uh, matchups. They might come over to the huddle and, and uh, it just happened the other night, you know, and and one guy says, hey, listen, I, I think if I take this matchup, that'll, you know, move him over to this guy. That would really help us. I said, go for it. Or, hey, I think we can coach like if they run this ball screen again, they're hurting us. Why don't we trap it this time? Just one time and see how it goes. And all right, go for it. You know, I would I'd love I'd love for my team now to do a little more of that. We're still working towards that. Some of our earlier teams, 2016, 17, for instance, those guys owned it completely. I mean, they ran the whole thing. I just sat back and, and it was that was a lot of fun. So when you have those teams and you have those players that are
0: that really take ownership and do that, it's awesome. It's great stuff. And a lot of this connects also to how you practice. And particularly I've noticed throughout some of the things you've talked about in some of the different interviews. You definitely have a bit of a military influence, don't you, on your coaching and your philosophy? So maybe connect that for us in terms of the mental side, because that ties into game philosophy, practice philosophy. The mental side of the game is very important to you. It is. So we use a philosophy, a quote I use all the time with the team is that
1: with discipline comes freedom. And for us on the court, X's and O's wise, it's the discipline for us is on the defensive end of the floor. We're very detailed about it. Uh, we're very strict about certain things. We have a foundation series. We expect we expect near perfection on the defensive end of the floor in terms of what we are going to do. But then with that on the offensive end, we don't. You know, I'm not going to have them do that on both ends of the floor. On offense, we want to give them space. We want them to be creative. We want them to play with confidence. Uh, we want them to share the ball. But we're not going to require every detail and the way that their foot touches the line and their screen angle is perfect. And, you know, I just don't think you can do that on both ends of the floor. So that's kind of our philosophy is that with discipline on defense and rebounding comes the freedom on offense to go be the player that you want to be. And my job is just to kind of put you in, in spots in order to be successful. And in terms of the mental side, I I mean, we shoot less than 60% from the free throw line. So I, I don't know that I'm any kind of expert. We, we're definitely feeling the heat this year as defending champions, but o- over the last eight or so years, I've really, I've learned, I had a, a close friend who's who's just an expert in the field that understands like heart rate, heart rate variability, and, you know, this stress performance curve, which is something that that we value, I value, probably haven't done enough of it with this team, but just that sweet spot of pushing your team to the, really to the, the heightened state of performance, but then knowing when you have to get out of that and recover because you can't live in that state for four months, you'll crash and burn every time. So pushing them to the the peak of that curve and then being able to come down. And, you know, we can do that through mindfulness. We breathe, we do breathing exercises with our team. I do breathing exercises and so I think I mentioned about our practice days. You know, we, we're pretty intense. We don't put a time limit on it. I mean, we're going to go till we get it right. But we're only going to go three days in a row. Like very rarely will we be on the court as a team more than three days in a row. And that would only be if we had a, a handful of games in a short period of time. But once we get in a rhythm, it'll be three days and a day off. It might be two days and a day off. But I think that that's really important for them to, to actively recover, get with the athletic trainers, Get with uh, strength and conditioning, get their bodies and minds right so that they can play, you know, fresh and, and confident.
0: Coaches, a brief interruption from the podcast to talk about hoops analytics. With basketball season approaching quickly, do you have an affordable, powerful stats and analytics system in place yet? Rather than overspending on the same old antiquated stat system, you can get cutting edge video link stats and deep analytics at around half the price you're paying now. Hoopsalytics analysts will break down games for you so you can instantly measure the effectiveness of your players, lineups, and player combinations, and you can add tracking for your unique plays, sets, and actions to see what's working and what needs to be improved. You can even measure shot quality and things like contested and uncontested shots to improve your offensive points per possession. Features like interactive shot charts, game timeline, visualizations, assist maps, and more Hoopsalytics, an invaluable resource for coaches of all levels. Discover how Hoopsalytics can help you save money and make better data-driven coaching decisions. Visit hoopsalytics.com slash ball today to learn more and start analyzing your game for free. That's H-O-O-P-S-A-L-Y-T-I-C-S dot com slash ball. Well, I love this mind-body-spirit connection. Uh, and I think the challenge for coaches is really – the practical way of applying it. So maybe first we'll start with the breathing practices. Can you give us an example of how you integrate it in terms of your practices and for your players?
1: Yeah. So the the data of through breathing. And so this all started with with my friend Dr. Ron Garbo and, and he's an expert in in heart rate variability, among other things. And you know, we, we were having to deal with burnout about eight years ago and retention and you know maybe pushing myself and others just a little too far uh, along that curve. He introduced me to something called heart math because I was very resistant. I am not a, I'm not a yoga guy. I'm not a meditation guy. I don't wear tight pants. I'm just this, I'm not a a kumbaya guy. I didn't really understand it, but this was a a very scientific way. And it it gives you feedback that if you breathe five seconds in and five seconds out uh, for a certain period of time, the goal is to practice that 5 to 10 minutes a day you can really bring your yourself down and with this tool you have an app on your phone and you can actually see it happen it's really incredible i don't know if you've ever used it but you can do the breathing and you can you can see it changing your heart rate variability right in front of you which is a measure of i mean this is what elite golfers elite leads uh olympians like they're all doing this stuff you see steph curry on the sideline breathing you know but it's to me it it's you can't just say breathing it's got to be purposeful and this tool gives you some feedback and and it's just incredibly powerful and so we'll do it now the day of the games it's as simple as you know before we do our walk through we'll kind of get in a room and we'll we'll all lie on the floor and and breathe and just practice breathing five seconds in and five seconds out, which can seem like a, an eternity in the heat of battle. But if you understand how to do it, it's a very powerful way to kind of center yourself. And a lot of athletes do it naturally, right? You see a guy go to the free throw line, he takes a deep breath. Sometimes they don't even know why they're doing it. But there's a reason, you know, and if, if you're purposeful about it and you can do that, it's a great way to kind of center yourself to get in the zone, to perform at a higher level, to relieve that burnout situation of falling over the cliff, it's been incredibly helpful for my career uh, in terms of balance. I've seen its impact on some of my players, and uh, you know it's something I believe in. We at, at one point we were using the Polar straps and uh, measuring uh, heart rate variability, and I, that was a really powerful indicator for our team. We could put it right up on the screen, and you know I, I got to. I probably need to go back and do more now since COVID, you know, probably need it more than ever
0: now. It's brilliant stuff. And I've been fortunate. My wife has exposed me to a lot of this heart math and, you know, heart coherence and the different things that come from that. And it's brilliant stuff. And as you mentioned, I think the key part for coaches is it's all evidence-based science. It's, it's not kumbaya, as you say, it's all well researched and it's all all makes sense to be honest. And I've never actually heard a basketball coach explain it as well. So thank you for for sharing that with us. And you know we know that connection, mind, body, spirit exists. And you know, and also with that, of course, you push and challenge your players, and you're constantly getting them to try and be better. So talk to us a little bit about that balance. And at least we all think that you don't coach them hard.
1: Yeah, our our absolute core standards and mantra are is. Tough and together. And it's, we break every huddle with those two words. It's, I mean, it's every day. It's in the recruiting pitch. It's in the, it's on the wall. It's, it's everything for us is that mental and physical toughness in sport is number one. And and we believe in it and we, we require it. And it's just something that is, has been really successful for, I think, for our team, but also for our players as they, as they move on from here. And then togetherness. And it's, it's putting your teammates first. And it, again, the simplicity of it, I think, is its power. It's not a, a mission statement of 9,000 words to be memorized. It's not. It's that simple. It's toughness and togetherness. And it's the only awards that we have for our team. At the end of the year, every player and every coach gets one vote. And they vote for who the toughest player on the team was mentally and physically. And they vote for who the best teammate was. And those are on the, on the wall in our locker room. It's the only names you'll find on the wall in our locker room are those guys. And we've had guys that have, are on that wall that are all Americans. And we have guys on that wall. You've never heard of They're walk-ons, but their impact on the team, because, you know, we believe toughness and togetherness, they have nothing to do with ability, nothing to do with talent. It has everything to do with your attitude and your spirit. And that's that's the beauty of this game is that you can impact winning without being the most talented player. And and I think that the more of that that you have, the more successful you'll be as at least as a foundation. And then when you bring some talented players and lift them up on top of that, I think I think that's the, the pinnacle right there.
0: It's it's awesome stuff. Uh, I love that. And uh, you've you mentioned Foundation a few times and you mentioned Foundation series. So we got to dive into that. Otherwise, I'm going to get some emails from coaches. So maybe, Coach, give us an, a broad overview of it first. Yeah. I, so I, I can't,
1: like anything, none of this is original, but Fletcher Arrett, Fork Union Military Academy, rest in peace. He, he was, I played when he was coach. I, I was on the Pen JV team when he was at Fork Union. So I played against them and we just, connected. At that point on, I got into coaching and coached against them. And I would go down and watch his team's practice. And I recruited his teams. And we ended up becoming really close. We'd talk on the phone. I'd go down and watch his practices. And you talk about running a military type style practice. His players would come out of the court and they would go through a series of defensive motions. And they were not allowed to speak to each other. There was no talking. You would just come up from the locker room, And you would start maybe your zigzag down the court. And then you might get into a defensive slide. And then you might, and he had a series of movements that were just principles of their defense and you couldn't talk and there were no balls. And it was, it was like, wow, this is some old school stuff, you know? And so when I got into coaching, I did that. And I tried that for a year or two, but the talking thing, I just couldn't you know, that just would be hard when that you know? <laughs> so, you know, we, we moved on from that, but the, of the core is finding these things that we believe in defensively. We call them our foundation series. We do them regularly. We don't do them all every day, but we might take one or two each day because it might apply to our upcoming opponents and we'll go through them. And it's before we stretch, it's not live. It's really just going through the techniques And reiterating how we're going to do it and so it's how we're guarding screens it's how we're we're stunting and recovering to the ball helping and recovering it's how we swivel our head on on a back cut how we front the post so it's how we contest shots for us we call it championship contesting every shot we expect to contest as if it's the the last shot of the game and you're you're up one so i mean there's about eight of them And we'll do one or two a day and, you know, they know what they're doing. They'll break up to each end and they'll go through the motions and, you know, take five or eight minutes and, and, you know, just kind of mentally rehearse those, those movements.
0: And that's done before the beginning of formal practice. Yeah. So we have a
1: pre-practice, we have a pre-practice, which could last anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour and 20 minutes, depending on the time of year and where we're at. And that'll consist of those types of drills. It'll consist of ball handling and passing drills. It'll consist of some, some five-man weave or three-man weave or, or something to get the juices flowing. It'll go into some dummy offense typically. And it'll be all the stuff before we go live. And then, and then we'll end that. We'll come together. And then it's, it's kind of a shift. They'll stretch for five minutes. I don't even know that they need to. But it's as much about the mental... Like, okay, something's going to change now. And so the, I've tried to get rid of it. I've had athletic trainers tell me to do it differently. I, I mean, but at the end of the day, this works for me. We get loose. We do, we do a lot of running around and ball handling work. And then we stretch. And then when we come out of that, it's on, it's live. It's one on one, two on two, three on three, five on five, whatever it is, it is competitive and it's live for however long we're going to go that day. Shell drill, whatever, whatever we're doing, but it's going to be competitive. It's going to be, there's going to be a score kept. There's going to be a winner and a loser. And we're, we're playing and, and they know when they come out of that stretch, it's on. And I'd like to think our practice are, are, are enjoyable. They're hard. I think they get us ready though for, for games. And, and we're lucky when you have, when you're able to put two groups on the floor, that's that, that are competitive, it, you know, it really gets, it really gets the
0: juices flowing. Great stuff, and I mean, you connect. You can connect this for us to a little bit of your overall defensive philosophy, which, which again, couldn't be simpler. Figure out how your opponent wants to score and make them do something different. Yeah, I mean, just so simple, isn't it? And that comes back to a foundation too, doesn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, it's.
1: I don't know if there's anything unique about that. I think all coaches do, but again, it's. It's. I think it's kind of like what you're willing to to live with as a coach, and what your players know you're living to willing to live with. But yeah, that's our job as coaches and players when we're scouting is okay, what what is this team really? What what is the best thing this team does offensively? How do they want to score? And what are we gonna do to not let them do that? I'm not saying we're gonna win the game, but we're not gonna let them do that. And then you're gonna have to do something else. And to me, that makes teams uncomfortable. And there's times we do that, we lose the game. And you, as the coach and the leader, you have to be able to look your team in the eye and say, listen, you, we did what we asked you to do and, and they were good enough to, to go to plan B and beat us. And so we'll shake their hand and we'll get better. And, and here's a couple of things we could have learned. But is it about they're going to play through this one player? Maybe they have a point forward. And then we're going to say, well, you're not going to play through that one player at this game. You know, Is it that they are going to run these actions and they score half their points off of these actions? Well, we're not going to let you run those actions. We're going to find a way to take you out of those actions. And make you one-on-one players. Are they going to spread the floor and throw it inside and and spread you out? And that's you know. So whatever it is, we're gonna do our our damnedest to try to make sure you're not doing that. And then if you can find another way, and that's the fun part of coaching. And then we'll see what you do, and we'll try to make another adjustment. But you know that that's the really fun part of game coaching is to see what they're gonna do when you take them out of what they're comfortable doing.
0: You you mentioned being less into adjustments on defense, but from what I gather from that statement and the way you explain it, it's it's not rigid. You're definitely very adjustable in terms of your defense within the foundations that you have. Is that a fair way to be able to explain it? That's key, right? You
1: have to have you have to believe in something, right? It's the old if you don't believe in something, you'll fall for anything. And and you see this time and time again with teams who who are changing their defenses all the time. Like We know what we believe in and what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, and that's what I talked about those early games. We're really not going to waver, even if it might help us win a game, because we need to have this standard of how we do things. This is what we stand for. But then we also have to understand that the best teams are going to use that against us. The best teams are going to know how to use the way that we use screens or we defend screens and try to counter it. There's going to be some players that don't fit the mold of our defense. Like we can't stay in front of them, you know? So we have to have a great player adjustment defense and we have those. So yeah, it gets kind of to a certain point in the year where we feel our foundation is strong that we can then say, all right, we're going to make this adjustment. And then we don't feel like it's going to throw the whole thing out the window. And I think that's so important because if you do it too early, if it's November 10th and you're saying, hey, all right, got to switch every screen now all the time, you're never going to be able to get them back to not switching screens. They're going to take the easy way out for the rest of the year. And so I think that's for us, again, making sure our core is solid and strong. And then within that, building in the adjustments and that's why, you know, people ask about how we guard ball screen to drop coverage. A lot of that is because the adjustments are so simple. We're in drop coverage. We can push you to the screen. We can ice the screen. We can force you to your weak hand. And we're always going to have the help of the big. So like we can do a number of different things just within the drop coverage, you know, and that applies to to a stagger screen that applies to a, a pin down. Um, so there's the way we're going to do it. And then, the adjustments typically are fairly well thought out and easy and especially in the game. And that's the beauty of it. If I'm trailing a guy off a, off a stagger and he keeps beating me and I come to the timeout and I tell him, okay, Hey, you know what? Just cheat underneath it or just switch out. Well, they're all ears now because they've just gotten beat for eight straight points. So they're going to adjust very quickly because we all see what's going on. But I guess you know, I think that answers your question: is the foundation first, and then the simple
0: adjustments within that later. Well, the drop coverage example obviously brings it home even more. And uh, so that would be your base teaching would be drop coverage, and then from there, at what point do you start to introduce some of the potential changes that can be made within that? Once we get in, you know, you get into the rhythm of games, and so. Are, are they game, more, I should ask that. Is are they more game driven changes?
1: They're more, they're more game, right? So okay. we're going to spend the, the two days prior to a game preparing for that game, knowing a, you know, at least with the team, plan A, plan B, and then I and the coaches might have plan C, hmm. but, you know, okay, here's what we're doing, plan A, if we have to, we might consider this plan B. And usually by the time you're 15 games in, you've seen so many different things and you've now made so many different adjustments, you can call them back, and that's really that's the beauty of it. Later in the year, and maybe this is why the the postseason's been good to us because by the time we get there, we're able to say, Hey, listen, we just saw this two weeks ago. It's the same action. Okay, you remember what we did then? Yeah, we we hedged out early, and went under the second one or whatever. You know, oh yeah, i got you, coach. All right, boom. We just did it. We've seen it. To me, that's more effective than. I don't, you know, it's Division Three. We don't have the summer and the fall and individual workouts and all. I can't possibly introduce 35 different ways to defend the screen every day in practice for the 20 practices I get, right? So we kind of used the, the days before the games to work on the adjustments. And then by the second half of the year, we've probably seen most of the adjustments that we're, we're ever going to need to make.
0: I love it. I mean, I I say it about skill that uh, adaptability is more important than repeatability. But I believe that applies to what you're saying in terms of your postseason success is ultimately so much of that has to do with your ability to be able to adapt rather than repeat just solutions that you've learned all year. And thank you. I mean, you really highlighted this that for us. And uh, yeah, we've talked about defense, talked about practice, philosophy, all those different things. So let's connect it a little bit in terms of offensive philosophy. And you already referred to the freedom that players have what is the biggest part for you in terms of giving them freedom? Sharing the ball. It's, it's decision-making
1: and sharing the ball. You know, what I'm not a, a set coach. Like I said, I'm I'm not rigid. I don't see the game that way offensively. I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the the coach that's taken out of what I want to do by a defense that is like the one I would want to have. Right. So, you know, and my own team teaches me that every day. I try to put in a play on offense and practice, and the defense takes us out of it. And I'm thinking to myself, why the heck did I even bother doing that? Because any good defense is is going to disrupt and force you into counters and counters to counters and counters to counters to counters. Why not just teach them how to play basketball? Teach them how to play in space. Teach them how to read the defense. And then reward good decisions and have consequences for, for ones. And you know, a lot of this comes from Fran Dunphy, who is, you know, one of, a huge mentor. Just he used to keep it as simple as make shots, make plays, take the right shots, knock them down and make the right plays. And for me, it, it really, our focus has become much more on decision making than any other sort of detail. And it's really valuable. And, and you know, what I go and look at, I, I really value the assist turnover ratio it's just a metric that is old school and it really doesn't lie. If I look at you, Chris Oliver is a player and you got 10 assists and 32 turnovers, I'm thinking, all right, he could score, but the dude really can't play, you know,
0: because eventually you can take a guy like that out. Pretty but coach, you, you changed so your whole life. defense because I was killing you, remember? <laughs> You said they have to deny me. Now I'm turning. It I had open. to bring you down. To, I had to bring you down to earth a little bit. You know? Those would be the most fascinating stats from any game possible if I was doing that. <laughs> Those two things. It's great. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. So th- that's it for us. And I want to look at my five starters, the guys that are playing for me. I know we'll have a good team if all five have a positive assist turnover ratio.
0: Then I'll know, like, we got a good team. You can't really stop us. So in terms of that do you start the season with a bit of a structure for them you said not necessarily sets but are you giving them some type of spacing template or some different things from which these decisions and freedom evolve
1: yes and but i'm also so we have a little bit of a plan based on who we think might be playing for us mm-hmm. but then also the the openness and the understanding that in all likelihood this whole thing's going to change you know we're going to get to the holiday break and we're going to have to revisit and see, is this is this working? Is this not working? Are there different guys playing now? Did we have injuries? You know, we might have been playing through the post, but now we're not. So, but it really is as simple as, like, we just we just completely restructured our offensive spacing after Christmas. We've had like five practices with it. And it already looks better than anything we were doing prior. But it's, it's nothing complicated. It's just a five-out spacing instead of a three-out, two-in spacing that we had been we had been playing before and then just, you know, a couple little movements and iterations off of it so that they know where each other is, but nothing, nothing complicated at all. So I think having the adaptability within just as, almost as simple as that three out, two in four out, one in five out, are you going to have your post trail or run to the rim? Who's taking the ball out of bounds. I mean, those are some of the like little simple nuances that we need to have. But then beyond that,
0: It's fairly open. Coach, I mean, just so much well thought out, concise. We can tell definitely why you've been successful in your coaching and with your program. And, you know, just appreciate you joining us so much. But before you go, I just got to ask you, how are you approaching defending this thing? Well, how I approached it probably didn't work because, you know, here we
1: are as we stand right now. We are still a work in progress. 17 games into this, this season following a national championship. Until you have done it, you don't you don't know what to expect. And we have we have had some some challenges this year for sure. Part, the first part of that was our schedule. We were very aggressive. I think we had the toughest schedule in the country through the first month. A couple things that you don't maybe prepare for that maybe someone will win a championship this year and watch this and and they can learn because I wish I had known. First and foremost is we've always been an opponent that had a target on our back and people wanted to beat us we we've had enough success that people play their best against us but let me tell you the level of play of our opponents to start this year was incredible like we we work incredibly hard at defending the three point line you look at our numbers we typically give up about five makes a game on average and that's a really good number and typically they're going to shoot you know 30 28 32% against us You look at our numbers to start this year, teams were shooting almost 40% from three against us. We weren't doing anything different. Dudes were hitting shots, falling out of bounds to beat the national champions. I don't know. I don't know what you do about that. You know, it was incredible and it still is some of the performances of teams against us that we've seen really good teams, but also playing at incredibly high levels against us. So, so there's that, you know, and then there's the, the potential for a national championship leading, you know, like in this world, is our job as mentors to try to get them to understand that I probably didn't do a good enough job. When you get promoted in your job, when you get promoted in life, your responsibilities get harder, not easier. And that goes in all walks of life. And I needed to have done a better job this year preparing my team for that. I think we had some some guys who returned who thought, we've won a national championship, now things are going to get easier. Now, I don't necessarily have to do all those things the way I did them before. I don't have to be coached as hard. I don't have to push myself in practice because I know what it takes in the games. Uh, I can worry a little bit more about my own performance rather than the team. Just things that these terrific young men had never shown before crept into the equation that. It was like an out of body experience and I didn't foresee it and I probably should have. And, but we've worked through it and I'm excited about the remainder of the season. Cause I think we've, we've had enough conversations and enough. We've gotten our butt whooped enough that, you know, I, I think it's all starting to come back around to, to kind of be who we want to be in terms of our togetherness. But I, I tell you what, it has been uh a learning process for me as a leader for sure uh, I know for our guys it has and um, I'm just glad we got we got a shot here to uh to try to get back into this dance and see what kind of noise we can make but uh, it just goes to show you every team is different every year is different you need things to go your way you need luck you need great chemistry you need the right you need to not have injuries as you know I'm not telling anything you don't know Chris but this has been this has been a interesting, learning, growing year for me and for CNU basketball. And we we've made it. We made it to this point. We're thirteen and four. We can't be too upset about that. And we got a chance now to I think really turn it up and, and try to
0: make another run. So much great advice throughout this podcast, but you maybe save some of the best for last coach. Thanks for sharing that introspection with us and, you know, some guidance, I think, for, you know, hopefully all of us as coaches that get to do what you've done and defend a national championship. That's pretty cool. So thank you so much for joining us and uh, sharing the game. Chris, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe to the show and to give the basketball podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.